This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. You know how in the Mike's on Francesa on the fan theme song, he'll say, or the song will say, we'll get you the sports any way that he can. It's Mike Francesa on the fan. Well, today is a Rico Bronia in which we're getting you the Rico and we're getting you the Mets any way that we can. I'm on vacation. I set up our little audio studio so that you could hear the waves in the background just to prove that I'm on vacation. And Pete Hoffman has been working his ass off, too. He was driving to Maryland. He was driving back to New York. But we both said we will find a way to get the Rico in. So I'm in North Carolina. He's back in New York. And if you hear what sounds like waves in the background, it's because damn right there is. Waves in the background. What's up, Paul? How you feeling? I feel freaking amazing right now, man. I mean, I'm a little jealous. I mean, I was, I was, at, I was working hard at a tournament for like four days. You're just chilling. I'm. It's unbelievable. I'm just chilling, man. And, and here's where you're gonna get even more jealous. As we break down this three game series against the Phillies, I'll describe to you how I watched each game and how I did that while on vacation. And I think most people listening will will get two things out of it. Number one. They'll confirm that I'm a psycho. But number two, <laughs> they will say, that's not a bad way to watch a baseball game. That's not bad. So we'll get to all three. Obviously, it was a good weekend. The Mets take two out of three against the Philadelphia Phillies. It begins this stretch of games that I described last week as just survive. Just kind of run out the ca- run out the, the clock, if you will, and maintain the lead that you have. I don't think any of us looked at the Phillies as a threat to the National League East, but we hate Philadelphia. We hate the Phillies, and they've been playing good baseball lately. And after Keith Hernandez's comments, the last thing any of us wanted to see were the Phillies come to town and win this series. And after the the way Friday night went, and looking at having to face Zach Wheeler on Sunday, and even Aaron Nola on Saturday, despite the Mets having Jake on the mound, it didn't feel like this was going to be a series win. Because Friday was one of those losses where if the Mets weren't in the position standings-wise that we were in, That's a bad loss. That's a frustrating loss, especially when you look at the opportunities that they had, especially in the ninth inning with Marte getting the leadoff double, Lindor sacking him over to third on the flyout, and you got Daniel Vogel back. And I got to admit, I have the whole thing up because I'm watching this game in a hotel room. We we went down to North Carolina, but on Friday night after the show, we stopped in Virginia. So we stopped in Virginia at about 11 o'clock at night. I did not listen to the game on the radio. My plan was as soon as we get to the hotel, no, not as soon as. 
when we get to the hotel, after everybody's sleeping, I'm going to start the freaking Met game on delay. Even though it was an Apple TV Plus game, I'll give you a little secret. I got this special MLB.TV account that lets the blackouts go away. And so I was able to, with MLB.TV, start the game at about, I would say I started the game close to midnight. And my oldest son would not sleep. So he, I got to give him credit. He watched the whole freaking game with me, asking a million damn questions as the game was going on, including if Max Scherzer gave up a double to start the game, Dad, he's not that good. Not to explain, no, 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 hold on. I guess, I get it, he gave up a double to Bryson Stott, and he gave up, you know, nine hits in seven innings, but he is freaking good. He only allowed one damn run. But here's the mistake I made. When Vogelback hits the line drive to left, I slapped him, friendly slap, on his arm and said, we won. <laughs> oh, God, I regretted that. Oh, we won. Little did I know, obviously, that the lack of fundies Philadelphia Phillies, thank you, Keith Hernandez, would actually make a big freaking play. And I think it was Matt Veerling who was playing left field, and he makes the perfect throw to the plate, and Marte is out. And now, no, we didn't win the freaking game. And obviously the Manfred run on second base kind of screwed him. I don't want to say screwed the Mets, because look, the Mets have won a ton of games in extra innings, so they've won a lot of games with the Manfred run on second base. But it is frustrating when there's an extra inning game and the guy who's automatically on second scores in such a non-earned way. And I know that's not fair because you earn it by getting him around the bases, but the guy was already on second base. You know, sack to third, sack fly. It just, it pisses me off. And that's not me bitching. The Philadelphia Phillies clearly won the game outright, and the Mets had a runner on second base, and they couldn't get him in. That's on the Mets. You know, Tyler Naquin's the guy who's striking out looking with a runner on third and less than two outs. So it's not, I'm not the Phillies. The Phillies are the ones who bitch. The Philly announcers are the ones who complain that the Mets are very lucky, which we'll get to in a little bit. I just hate the extra inning rule. Win, lose, or draw, I hate the extra inning rule. But I did feel as if I had jinxed the outcome when I slapped Jet on the arm as Vogelback hits the ball to left field. And I'm like, yeah. We won the freaking game. I don't know why. Off the bat, for some reason, I thought that was deeper than it was. And look, give the Philadelphia Phillies credit. Matt Veerling had to make a play. He made a play. He made a great throw to the plate. And what's kind of earned about that for Philadelphia is that when they scored their run in the top of the 10th inning, Starling Marte had a great opportunity to throw out Bryson Stott. It wasn't that deep of a fly ball to right field. And if he makes a good throw, Stott's out too. So the Mets had a chance to basically match what the Philadelphia Phillies did defensively. That's why part of why Friday stunk, that Keith Hernandez basically effed us with the whole they have no fundies. Meanwhile, the Phillies won the game because they had fundies, and we didn't. We can't throw a guy out at the plate. But look, the, uh, the real reason the Mets lost is because they couldn't freaking hit. I mean, that's, that's the ultimate reason. They had opportunities in this game. They didn't do much outside of the uh, sacrifice fly by Mark Canna in the second inning. They couldn't break through against Ranger Suarez. They couldn't beat Jose Alvarado, who we all hate because of his history with Dom Smith. They couldn't hit Sir Anthony Dominguez in that ninth inning when they get a runner on second base and nobody out. So it was one of those losses where, in a different context and in a different world, we're all cursing everybody out and we're pissed off. Because that's a frustrating loss that they had in the opener of this series. The, the other thing is, and this is not... This isn't really a first guess or a second guess. It was more of a thought that I had watching this game. And again, I'm watching this game three hours after it ended. So any thought that's in my mind is really irrelevant. 
because the outcome had already been determined. But when he goes to Diaz in the ninth inning, and I get it, tie game at home, of course you're going to go to closer in the ninth inning. It's a, it's usually a no-brainer. It's 8-9 and one of the batting order. Knowing if the game goes 10, there's a runner on second and nobody out. So my thought was, does Buck or should Buck handle a situation like that differently, thinking, let me use my lesser reliever, because it is 8, 9, and 1. Obviously, if a couple guys get on base, you can go to Edwin Diaz. If Michael Givens, let's say, comes on in the ninth inning and, let's say, walks Brandon Marsh or gives up a hit to Matt Veerling or gets Bryson Stott out and there's two on and one out, obviously you don't want to risk losing this game without using your best reliever. Then you go to Edwin Diaz, but almost try to steal the three outs in the ninth, knowing it's eight, nine, and one. And also knowing if this game goes extra innings, I'd rather have Edwin Diaz on the mound than anybody else. Obviously, you'd rather have Diaz on the mound all the time than anybody else. But when you're dealing with a runner on second, nobody out, and you're starting a situation like that, Edwin Diaz gives you an excellent chance to get out of it. So I was just thinking, I'm not criticizing Buck or even first guessing him. It was more baseball thought going through my brain of, does it make sense to try to steal those three outs in the ninth, saving Diaz for a situation where runner on second, nobody out. Now, I know that contradicts a lot of things I've said over the years, which is I can't lose a game without my best reliever. I understand that. But just a thought because of this Manfred rule. Am I nuts off, or does that actually make a little bit of sense? No, I, listen, I, I, I can't stand the Manfred rule, but I, I get it. it. It does make sense. You're all you're off in other things, but that that you're pretty accurate with. <laughs> what are you drinking right now? What, what am I for today? <laughs> no, what are you drinking right now? I, I can't believe you're not drinking like a like a like a little mixed drink. You're drinking water. What's up with that? Okay, here's why I'm drinking water because I've been drinking mixed drinks and fruity alcoholic beverages all goddamn day. <laughs> so right now we're at like eleven o'clock at night on Sunday night. I am now what they call off sobering up. Oh. You see what I'm doing here? Oh. Now, I'm, I want to make something clear. I am not drunk per se during this podcast, but earlier today I was. But now eh, it's 11 o'clock at night. I had to put the kids to bed. Now I'm just, I'm feeling good. I'm keeping myself hydrated with a Deer Park spring water. But thank you for asking. I appreciate it. That that was more questionable than what you were talking about with the the the, the you know the late inning rules. Listen, I can't stay late inning rules. And even in the little league tournament I was just in, we went to, we almost went to an extra inning game, and they're like, okay, it's gonna be California rules. I'm like, ah, oh, dude, I can't stand it. I'm not yeah, a fan. Like, what are California first and second? Nobody out. Like what? Is- no, it's it's second <laughs> second. Base. No, it's the runner on second base. It's just it's very stupid. Uh, oh. Again, not a fan. I. I can't stand it. Look, I, I don't want to bitch about it because it, it's not that it's unfair. It's not unfair. Each team has the same opportunity. Like, the Mets lost this game because when they had a runner on second and nobody out in the 10th, they didn't do anything. I mean, that's the bottom line, really. It was Tyler Naquin striking out, looking, and then Guillerme grounding out. Like, it's not that it hurt the Mets. It's that it hurts my brain as a baseball fan. That's That's my only issue with it. Look, the Mets lost Friday night because they couldn't get a big hit, which for the most part hasn't been their problem this year. I did think there were a couple of impressive things, though. Max Scherzer was great despite being very beatable in the first two innings of this game. And that's like a traditional ace performance where you got your opportunity, and the Phillies had an opportunity to score more than one run in the first inning, and they didn't. 
Max got the big strike out of Derek Hall. And then in the second inning, they have another opportunity. Lead-off man on, bases loaded two out, Alec Bohm. And Scherzer was able to make the big pitch. And I knew this, not only as a Med fan, but as somebody who's watched a lot of aces over the years. Once Max got through the second inning and he didn't allow a run, I knew, okay, he's going to settle in now. There's no doubt. There's no doubt now Max Scherzer's going to kind of put it into high gear. And he did. And he did an excellent job and somehow was able to give him seven innings because after those first two innings, considering how many pitches he'd thrown, it was no lock that he was going to go that deep into the game. So I thought that was a... It was an ace-like performance, not in terms of dominating, but an ace-like performance in terms of you better get to him early because if you don't, you ain't getting to him at all. So from that standpoint, great job by Scherzer and great job by our boy Mark Hanna because Mark Hanna's put in a very tough spot in this game. Jeff McNeil cuts his finger. Eduardo Escobar's got a sore hip, whatever the hell he has. Like he's an old man who needs hip surgery. And Mark Hanna is moved to third base and got that one ground ball to third, man, and he looked good. He made the play. So good job by Mark Hanna. And they got the next day Jeff McNeil was back in the lineup because there are guys that the Mets can lose to injury, and you can rank them in terms of how detrimental it would be to the team. Believe it or not, I think McNeil's up there. I'm not saying he's top. I'm not saying he's ahead of Alonzo or ahead of Lindor or ahead of any of the big pitchers, but his ability to come through with that big two-out hit, with that big soft contact hit that turns and pisses off the Philadelphia Phillies, his versatility, his ability to play the outfield, to play second base. I think he's had a great year defensively. I think he's had a better year defensively at second base than he's had at any year. It would be tough to lose him. And he comes back the next day, and outside of like one lousy throw, he actually looked pretty good. So... Thank God he's okay. Obviously, Escobar's okay because he came back on Sunday, and they may need him considering the Luis Guillerme situation from the finale of this series. And we'll get into that coming up because there's some interesting ideas and rumors about who they may call up if Guillerme goes on the injured list. But let's get to Saturday because Saturday was an event. Jacob freaking DeGrom on the mound, start number two at City Field, his third start back. Let me tell you something. Watching this guy pitch is like a religious experience. When you watch Jacob DeGrom on the mound, and right out of the gate, he's freezing Bryson Stott. Right out of the gate, he's throwing a slider that's unhittable. Right out of the gate, you see the brilliance. By the way, right out of the gate, he gave up that base hit to Reese Hoskins, a little blooper. I was thrilled about that, because I have a fear of God, Hoff, that I'm going to miss a Jacob DeGrom perfect game. That I won't be in the building for DeGrom... 27 up, 27 down. So I'll admit it. While I'm sitting in North Carolina by a freaking pool, when Hoskins dunks in that base hit, there was a ah, I got <laughs> a very selfish sigh of relief. Is that is that, that happened? Is that like is that like one of one thing that can't like? Th- there's been regrets in our lives about games we could have gone to, could not have gone to. Jacob Degrom, if he pitches a no hitter, you not being there, is that like the like if he pitches one on the road? Is that the same? It's not the same feeling, right? Because clearly he's not. Uh, no. no, I mean, look, he does something on the road. I mean, the, the odds are I'm not going to be there. And look, I wouldn't have a, a regret. A regret's not the right word because I'm on vacation. I knew that nine months ago when it was planned. I knew the Mets were playing the Phillies on a Saturday. And I knew I'd miss those games. So it would be bad timing would probably be the word. But there wouldn't be a regret of I could have been there. 
if I missed the start because I decided I'm not going that night, <laughs> that's a regret. Right. And it's funny. My wife knows. She knows. She's like, I know you're going to rearrange your Mets schedule to make sure you're at a Jacob deGrom start. And she's right. That's how I've handled it. <laughs> really, I, honestly, since 2017, even before he became the modern Jacob deGrom, because I've always loved the guy. And so I'm at the point of my life where I do go to a lot of games, obviously, but I'm not going to every game. You know, I'm not going to 81 games. I may go to a lot of games, but it's not every single game. So you have to make decisions between am I going Tuesday or am I going Wednesday? You know, I make that decision a lot throughout a season. When Jake's in the rotation, he makes the decision for me. By the way, there's a critter on my leg right now. And it is one of the biggest bugs I've ever seen. And for whatever reason, I'm not freaked out by it. Like giant bugs climbing up my leg. I'm just like, whatever. I just, I just kind of like flick them away. I'm like, all right, get the hell away from me. It's like a daddy long legs on steroids. Like, like the size of like like a silver dollar type of thing? What are we talking about here? How big is this thing? Like you, 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 It was a skinny, skinny bug. So it's not like thick, but it was okay. skinny. And it was like, describe it. I'm showing off with my hands. What would you say, like a foot? I mean, six inches. I'm telling you, next time I get one, I'm going to grab it. Oh, I see one right now. I'm going to grab I don't do? want to grab them. What are they doing? <laughs> You're just grabbing these insects? What is going on there, dude? I'm not grabbing it. I'm, I, I flicked one off my leg before, <laughs> but I see you walking around on the deck. Right now, I'm recording this on a deck in North Carolina. I purposely have the beach behind me just so Pete can stare at the beach. But it's yes. nighttime, so you really can't see anything, unfortunately. <laughs> it's no, there's bugs beautiful. everywhere. It sounds beautiful. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> it's beautiful. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, price line. And you know what I did? So for this Jake game, here's the here's how this works. Seven o'clock game. I'm now in North Carolina. I'm at the beach house that we have. I start the game live. We've got a, a house that has a pool, and I'm sitting at a stool while everybody's in the pool. And I got the game on. I got my scorebook out, and I got my drinks going. And I tell my wife, I say, "Listen, hon, it's no big deal." You want me to jump in that pool anytime. I'm just going to pause the game. So I watch this game while pausing it, I'd say every 15 minutes, to jump in the pool, swim with the kids, make out with my wife, come back. The kids aren't watching when that happens, obviously. Come back in, watch the game, two innings. Okay, pause the game, go for a walk on the beach, come back, pause the game. So <laughs> this DeGrom game was fantastic. I was, I was doing like 150 things as it was happening, but I never missed a pitch. And my, oh, my. When he throws those sliders, I just want to rip my clothes off. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just saying that because I'm sure Jerry Recco's listening and is like, oh, can you believe I haven't said that? I'm just effing around. I'm half drunk, Jerry, all right? I'm not fully drunk anymore. I'm like half because I got the water pouring. Anyhow, when Jacob DeGrom pitches, Pete, it's unbelievable. Like watching this man work is one of the most beautiful things you could ever see as a baseball fan. Like, and look, the velocity is a little scary, but I think we just have to accept it. He is like a technician on the mound. 
and his stuff and his pinpoint command and just everything about it. The, look, the only negative, and I don't know when this is going to end, and I think it's worth discussing, obviously, is when do they allow him to pitch more than what we saw Saturday? Because the Mets played a risky game. They're up one nothing. They get the run early on the big Pete Alonso two-out hit. He's been doing that all season long. And Jake is Jake's Jake. He's obviously great. They get how many base runners against him? Two base runners against him. And he's at 76 pitches. And they pull him with the heart of the order coming up in the seventh inning. You have a one-run lead. You got to get nine outs. Your bullpen, even though, look, Seth Lugo's been good. Adam Adovino's been good. Obviously, Diaz has been locked down. You still don't fully trust it. I'm not mad, because what am I mad at? I know they have to be careful with Jake, but I guess I'm just wondering at this point, when are they going to allow him to throw 95 pitches and push him? Or is the attitude going to be, look, look where we are in the standings. We're going to be in the postseason. Obviously, this series coming up with Atlanta will determine how much of a race they'll be. Will this thing tighten up again? Can the Mets run away with it? But I don't know. I wasn't expecting more necessarily. I guess I figured maybe 85 to 90 pitches. And when you're at 76 to 6, could you let him start the seventh inning? You could. But if you're hard on the 85, he's probably not getting through the seventh inning. And you're probably going to have to take him out. But that, that literally, Hoff, the only frustration right now with watching him is when are they going to let him really go? Well, the thing is, too, like you said, like, you know, with the bullpen they have, they should let him go. I mean, that's the concern because I went through the stats. I mean, I, I, there was a stat that came up, I think, what is it, 49% of the ball games that Jacob deGrom starts, he's allowed one or fewer runs. That's crazy to me. <laughs> but then the thing is, I dove into it. He's only gotten like 40% of those, like 40% of his starts, he has wins. Like, and then as a team, think about it. He, he minimizes damage, and they've only won 58% of his starts. Like, I think, like, I guess that's a good number. It's it's a higher number. It's over 50%. But still, it's like, this guy's pushing, pitching zeros, giving up nothing, and, and they can't, they, they, they don't dominate when he dominates. That's the scary thing. So I'm like, I, that, that's what scares me about the situation. I, look, it, obviously over the last few years, specifically in 18 and 19, they didn't win when Jake was on the mound. But I do think that's a trend that started to change. It changed in 2020. It changed in 2021. And this is a really good team. And even though they happen to only score one run on Saturday night, it's that's something that's amazing. It's incredible. It's something we'll probably talk about when discussing why he doesn't have that many wins with his Hall of Fame resume. But in 2022, it doesn't effing matter. Like it's 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 ancient history. And you just hope that because this team is as good as it is, they're not going to run into those issues when he's on the mound. Um, look, I think a part of not getting a lot of wins, and yet you really have to delve into every single Jake start and go through, why didn't he get a win? But some of them would be a night like Saturday night where the bullpen blows it. Now, luckily, this is different. The bullpen didn't blow it. And Seth Lugo did an outstanding job. And Trevor May did an amazing job. I know it was the bottom of the order, and you could minimize who he was facing. He did face Kyle Schwarber. I mean, he did have to face him in a one-run game with two outs and nobody on. But you're still asking to get nine outs out of your bullpen when maybe if this is a month from now, Jacob DeGrom 
throws you eight innings. Look, I don't know what the number's going to end up being. I, October is very different than the regular season. Obviously, in October, I think you push it as far as you can because you're trying to win a championship. And you're not overthinking, hey, is he going to be ready in five days? Your attitude is, i got to win this game, especially if it's game five of the divisional series or, you know, tied at two, game five NLCS, whatever it is. But in the regular season, I don't know what their plan is. Like, maybe if they do open up a bigger lead in this division and it'll obviously start the finale of the Atlanta series, maybe they are going to keep him in the mid-80s. And then you're asking a dominant strikeout pitcher to be economical with his pitch count for him to go considerably deep into games. But to Jake's credit, he's so freaking dominant that even when he strikes a ton of guys out, he's economical with his pitch count. He's been that way in his last two starts. It really is remarkable. And the other thing, too, like you, you talk about how much of a – it really is a spectacle. It's, it's, it's a show. And SOY has been feeding into that. Like what they've done now with like their camera angles, just like se- setting up the scenario, just the, 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 the scenery. Like it really is like it, – it's, it's almost like it's, its own little movie to watch every time Jake pitches. Well, it's an event. You know, I was told my whole life, you were too, about when Doc used to pitch, the event it would be at Shea Stadium. We are witnessing, whether people like it or not or want to admit it or not, a guy who dominates on a scale that maybe we've never seen. And that includes guys who are all-time greats. He dominates, really since 2018, at a level. And you want to take it up another level, really since 2021. That, that run in 21, the run now through three starts, that period of time, which I guess is like 17 or 18 starts, he has an ERA of like 1-1. It's, it's nuts. It's, it's incredible. So I'm glad the ballpark was sold out, which was clear. The, the attendance was great for this series against the Phillies. It was better than the previous week against Atlanta. What's the reason? Is it Philly fans? Is it people buying more and more into this team? Maybe it's a combination of both. I don't know. But it was great to see a packed house. And it is an event. And the other event, which is funny, is Edwin Diaz coming into games. Mm. When the trumpets go off, the building has an electricity that, as a Met fan, I've never seen for a closer. I've never seen it. Now, Yankee fans have obviously had it with Mariano Rivera, and that's not comparing the two. It's just there is a buzz when those trumpets are sounded. Even before that, when you're the and Edwin comes out of the bullpen. And, and how bad Ed went on Saturday? This was really impressive to me because he's facing the top of the Phillies order and he does not have his command. It's obvious. He did not have his slider command at all. And yet, he issues two walks. He gives up the double steal. He's a base hit away from blowing a, I don't want to say it's a massive game, but it would have been a big game. You blow a Jake start, potentially lose the first two games to Philadelphia. The Atlanta Braves don't lose again. Yeah, you could argue, yeah, it would have been pretty significant. And he's somehow able to fight back, strike out Castellanos, and get the save anyway. And I think sometimes, much like I said about Max, that you can be impressed more by the great pitcher when they're not their best but still pitch great, like Scherzer did on Friday. I think it's the same thing with Diaz. He clearly didn't have his best command, and yet against the heart of the Phillies' order, despite no Schwarber, healthy, and no Bryce Harper, he's still able to get through it. So kudos to Edwin Diaz. He's had a miraculous season. He's beloved by Met fans. He's trusted by Met fans. It proves that anybody can turn things around. 
if Edwin Diaz can be, quote, beloved and trusted by Met fans. But, bro, that's where he is right now. It's insane. I mean, we honestly could say that we have two of the better comeback stories uh, in recent histories. I mean, look, I mean, a comeback is a little strong for Francisco Lindor, but for what he gave last year and what he's doing now, and Edwin Diaz when he came to the team and now what he's doing, it really is. Like, you got to look, okay, it, the team has taken a different – they've turned a corner. Let's put it that way. Yeah. It, it, you know what it's a comeback with? It's a comeback with New York fans. New York fans are tough. And sometimes in this town, I think Joey Gallo's great proof of it. We've had guys like it too, where they get beat up by the Met fans or the Yankee fans and they're done. And they're unable to turn things around. Lindor, it was his first year. And I think there were enough people who, as down as they were on his first year, said, all right, well, he's going to be here for 10 more years. He'll be fine. Let's give it more time. And obviously here in year two, Lindor's had a great year. I don't think anyone's arguing that. With Diaz, it's even more impressive because... I, I get that 2019 was really the only bad year Edwin Diaz had. I, I totally get that. He was not bad in 2020. He was not bad in 2021. But he wasn't this. And he wasn't trusted. And certainly the way I felt about Diaz was in 20 and 21, even though he was mostly good, and the arguments I'd have with Diaz supporters would be, and they, they would always bring up this point, it's a great point, who's better? How many closers in baseball are better? And it was always a great argument because there weren't a lot of guys who were better. Like, as much as we crap on him, it's not like you could sit here and name 10 closers. And I'm not talking about this year. I'm talking about last year and the year before that were better than Edwin Diaz. But we never trusted him. I never trusted him. It felt like the blown save, the implosion would happen at the worst possible time. And obviously, he's eliminated all of that. And it's a credit to him because in this town, it ain't easy. It's not easy, especially once you're given a label. So I think the comeback for Diaz is not what he's doing in terms of stats or saves. The comeback is New Yorkers and Met fans and how he has somehow gotten us to believe. But he's been incredible. And then Sunday. We're recording this on Sunday, but earlier today, the rubber game of this series, you saw Chris Bassett basically throw his balls down on the table and say, I'm going to show you how I'm going to fight out of trouble. And you saw Francisco Lindor do what he's been doing all season long. Okay, runner on third, one out in the first inning against a tough pitcher in Zach Wheeler. I'm going to come through with a big RBI hit. And he's done it all season long. And it felt early, you have to admit this, that it was going to have to be another one of those one nothing, 2-1 victories. And then out of nowhere, and yes, it was soft contact, the Phillies booth will remind you, the Mets dumped in RBI single Marcana, RBI single Luis Guillerme, RBI single by James McCann. Our brain's freaking blown. And they put up the four runs against the Phillies. Jeff McNeil takes advantage of the fact that Brandon Marsh has his head up his ass. And they open up a 5 nothing lead. And again, even though they put guys on base against Chris Bassett, he's able to fight through it. He's able to give you five scoreless innings. And as far as the argument from the Philly announcers, and if you didn't see it, they were basically calling the Mets lucky for these soft contact base hits they had in the fourth inning. They were soft contact base hits. There's no doubt. And is there a level of luck in soft contact blue base hits? Sure. But Daniel Vogelbach hit a bomb of a home run, and that wasn't soft contact. It just wasn't. And 
Here's the other point. The Mets against Zach Wheeler in this game, through the first four innings, which is when they did their damage, okay? Zach Wheeler ended up pitching the fifth. He gave up the home run of Vogel back in the sixth. But the big inning was the fourth inning. Zach Wheeler wasn't getting strikeouts. In fact, through the first four innings of this game, Zach Wheeler struck out one person. And the reason I bring that up is the more you make contact, the more you put the bat on the ball, the more you hit the baseball, the better chance the baseball finds a hole. What a concept. Oh my God, it's crazy. Like, if you don't strike out, there's a chance the ball may fall in. The ball may be hit to shortstop and your crappy shortstop, no offense, Bryson Stott, you're not crappy, just making an analogy, that shortstop may boot it. You hit the ball to third base, it may just happen to be a spot where it's a tough play for the third baseman. So the Mets were lucky. There were soft contact hits, yes. But when you put the bat on the ball, good things can happen. That's why. Over the course of a long season, is it lucky? That's my question. Look, was it lucky today? Yes, they had a bunch of blue pits. But if you don't strike out, and the Mets don't strike out for the most part. They are a good contact team. You put yourself in better position than everybody else who does strike out a lot to get the soft contact hits. Because, Hoff, you may not realize this, you can't get a soft contact hit when the ball is in the catcher's glove because your ass struck out. That's a true story. True story. That's a true story. True story, Evan? True story. <laughs> true story. Well, no, but that, that's something that I've been complaining about for years with anybody uh, especially with you know just guys hitting low average, and I, and I know this is like you say that the average is a, a is not really a good stat to look at, but I always look at it this way: if you're making contact with the ball at some point in time, even if you get whatever whatever type of hits they are, the, you're, you're getting hits, and that's important. And if you can make contact in a big time spot, you're more likely to get a big time hit. And that that's uh, again, you're not missing the ball, like you said. And I've been I've been complaining about this for forever, which is why to bring in guys like Marte, Kana, just professional hitters. Escobar's not as so much this year, but don't professional hitters, not these guys that are just like, eh, which is what I feel like the Mets have had in the past. So, but By the way, and I don't think this is the case with James McCann, so I'm not trying to argue this with all the Mets hits from the fourth inning, but I think the Mets specifically have two hitters on this team that purposely will try to hit a ball where there aren't fielders, hmm. okay? The old wee Willie Keeler, hit him where they ain't. Jeff McNeil has made an art form of it, where if they shift him, you can see him try to just hit a ground ball to third base. And it doesn't have to be hard because there's nobody there. Jeff McNeil should not be labeled lucky if he has a 75-mile-per-hour base hit on the exit velocity because if you have a guy at the plate who's so good with their hand-eye coordination, that they're literally able to hit the freaking baseball in the exact spot they want to hit it, the way Tony Gwynn used to, that guy should not be penalized. The other guy who I think is like that is Luis Guillerme, mm. where when he had his base hit to the left side, I, I kind of think there were hitters like that. So sometimes exit velo is, <laughs> excuse me, <coughs> it's not fair to guys like that who – they're literally trying to hit the ball because they see where the fielders are playing. Now, I don't think most hitters are like that, by the way. 
I don't think most have, like, I don't think James McCann's blue pit was, I'm trying to hit the ball, there's nobody there. But I do think specifically with McNeil and Guillerme, they're two hitters who are like that. Now, speaking of Luis Guillerme, he got hurt in that inning. And it looked like he pulled a hamstring. It looked like it could be a quad, a hamstring, a groin. I didn't hear anything after the game about what they think it is. He hasn't been placed on the injured list. So I assume Monday he'll test it out. Maybe he'll go for some imaging. I was looking for it, but I'm also on vacation, so I was looking for it, but not that hard. I was trying to see if there was an update on Luis Guillerme. I didn't see an update on Luis Guillerme. The only thing I saw, which I think is fascinating, was Mike Puma, the post, said the Mets would consider calling up Brett Beatty to replace Luis Guillerme, not as much Mark Vientos. Now, it makes complete sense because Luis Guillerme, who they would sorely miss, he's excellent defensively. Offensively, he'll give you a good quality at-bat, but really they'll miss his glove. Luis Guillerme has become the everyday third baseman against right-handed pitching. And obviously there's the issue with Escobar. He may only be able to hit left-handed for a few days, but it looks like Eduardo's going to be okay. And he is on the right-handed side of the platoon where he'll face lefties because he's a better right-handed hitter. So if that remains intact, you're going to want to call somebody up who plays every day. Think about it. You're not all of a sudden just going to say, all right, Eduardo Escobar is playing every single day. We're going back to it. Guy's hitting 220. Guy's in hitting right-handed pitching. So now the Mets say, all right, we're going to have to call somebody up who hits right-handed pitching. Brett Beatty, when he was in double-A, crushed right-handed pitching. He's a lefty. He's not going to face a lot of lefties. I think we all understand that. His OPS against righties was over 1,000. Mark Vientos, the opposite. The, the absolute splits you'd expect from a right-hand hitter. Crushes lefties, doesn't hit righties. So based on the Met need right now, it would be Beatty getting the call over Vientos. And how exciting would that be? Because as great of a year as the Mets have had, the one thing they haven't done, and the Atlanta Braves have, whether it was Michael Harris, whether it's the call-up they just made for, um, oh my God, I picked the guy up in the Fantasy League. What the hell's his name? Uh, Vaughn. Vaughn. Grissom, Grissom. Vaughn Grissom. There we go. Vaughn Grissom, yes. They called up Vaughn Grissom from AA. He's young. He's a shortstop. They can play him at second base. (laughs) And he's off to a great start. He's contributing. They called up Michael Harris. He's been contributing. The Mets also have young guys they could call up. I remember when we were talking about Francisco Alvarez last month, I used the Michael Harris as a comparison that the Braves weren't afraid to call him up. So Beatty's the guy. Because that would be kind of the answer. Not that you're trying to compete in call-ups with Atlanta. But if Guillerme is out, and you have these options, call up uh, Kosuke, uh, whatever that guy's name is, who came over, the the, the super utility guy, Kosuke. You're going to call up Kosuke to come off the bench with Escobar playing every day? Or are you going to call up Brett Beatty? The answer is very simple. You're going to call up Brett Beatty. So even though it's not the kid we had talked about, it's not Alvarez, it's not even Vientos, it's the kid that makes the most sense. It would be the kid who fits. And I would not be afraid of his lack of experience. He was just called up to AAA last week. Who cares? Michael Conforto was called up from AA. Michael Harris was called up from AA. Grissom was called up from AA. Why do you think that the, cause that, that, that there are – now, I don't want to call them shills, but I just did. There are a lot of people that are pro what the Mets are doing, the slow playing of the prospects saying, 
You can't just call up some from someone from Double A, and it bothers the crap out of you. Why is that even such a thing? If there is proof that it works, because I don't think it's a real thing. I, I think the Mets. If, if we look at the Mets and say, why have they not called up Francisco Alvarez? I think it's what I've thought all along, which is they don't trust a twenty-year-old to catch this staff. They they don't want a twenty-year-old catching this staff. And then the other hole was DH with Vientos and Alvarez as well, and they fixed it. They traded for Darren Ruff. They traded for Daniel Vogelbach. Like, right now, there isn't an obvious need to call those guys up. If Guillerme is seriously hurt and goes on the injured list, there's a need. There's no BSing. There's an absolute need for the everyday third or the most days third baseman. Because look at this Atlanta series coming up. You're not facing lefties. You may face Max Fried on Thursday. We don't know. He's still dealing with the concussion. You're going to face on Monday, <coughs> excuse me, Spencer Strider, who's murder against righties. You're going to face Charlie Morton. You're going to face Jake Odorizzi. You don't want Eduardo Escobar, who's been a crappy left-handed hitter, facing those guys. No. You want someone else. So I, it's not defending what the Mets have done, because I think I would have called up Alvarez to DH a month ago. We were in agreement on that. But I think there hasn't been an absolute obvious need. There will be if Guillerme is hurt. And I hope he isn't. Like As much as I'd love to see Brett Beatty up here, I don't want Luis Guillerme hurt. I think he's so important to this team. You see what the pitchers say about him. I mean, every pitcher, whether it's Chris Bassett, Max Schreck, they love this guy because he's so good defensively. He is marvelous with that glove. So even though they may gain a little bit offensively with Beatty, and who knows, Beatty could come up here and take off. And basically never give the job back. Think about that. Beatty comes up here and starts getting the cover off the ball. Guillermo just becomes the lead inning defensive replacement. So we've been, I mean, that's that's what he'd be. We've been begging for that, though. We've been begging for that that like spark plug type of thing, you know? Yeah, no, look. And the Mets haven't needed it necessarily. I know they didn't score a lot of runs on Friday, a lot of runs on Saturday. Really didn't break through until that fourth inning. They didn't have a, a huge offensive series against Philadelphia. But their offense hasn't been a problem. Look what they did in the series against Cincinnati, the series against Atlanta. So I don't think they necessarily need the spark plug, but hey, can't hurt. Beatty comes up here and hits, it certainly can't hurt. We'll keep an eye on that. Uh, but Beatty clearly makes a lot more sense than Mark Vientos. As far as the series coming up against Atlanta, it's similar to last week in terms of the ball is in our court right now. Really, the Mets have to avoid a disaster. They're six games up in the National League East. It's five and a half, but it's six in the loss column. Give Atlanta credit. Since the Mets humbled them by taking four to five, the Braves went out and won every game. They didn't lose. They swept the Miami Marlins. Excuse me. They slept the Boston Red Sox. So they went five and oh since the Mets took four to five. The Mets went five and one. So they lost a half game in the standings from six to five and a half. If they can split this four-game series, it's a win. You have now eliminated four games from this schedule. You're six games up. You got to feel really good about it. If you lose three out of four, you're still four games up. <laughs> We're not going to feel really good about ourselves, especially since Scherzer and DeGrom are pitching in this series. But four games up is a good spot to be in. If disaster looms and they lose all four, the lead goes down to two. So still have a lead, 
but I'm sure there'll be a lot of panic if we lose all four games to Atlanta. And obviously, anything on the other end, I think, wins this division. If they win three out of four and up this lead to eight in the loss column, you got to feel amazing that this divisional race will be over. And then, obviously, if they swept them, it would be over. And you look at these pitching matchups, I would say Carrasco Strider. I know the Mets have done well against Spencer Strider, and Spencer opened up his mouth last week. Obviously, I think the Braves will have a slight edge in that game, but we know how good Cookie can be when he's on. Taiwan Walker, Charlie Morton. You know, Walker's been good in the second half, or at least bounced back from the disastrous performance against Atlanta. You have to hope Ty bounces back, and then you feel amazing about the last two games of this series. That's why you look for a split in game one and two, because then you've got Max Scherzer, Jake Odorizzi, and then you've got Jacob DeGrom against maybe Max Freed. So, I feel good. It's tough not to feel good. This team is a game behind the 86 Mets pace. I always love keeping an eye on that. 75 and 40. That team was 76 and 39. But here we go. Four more games with Atlanta. A chance to effing crush their soul. Especially after Spencer Strider was bitching like the Philly announcers. Oh, they're lucky. Oh, they're lucky. I hope they take him deep four times <laughs> tomorrow night, Monday night. And we'll talk about who's freaking lucky. But fun series coming up against Atlanta. You feeling good? You feeling confident going into that one? Uh, at this point, I feel great going into every series. I really do. I mean, again, pitching-wise, the fact that when you have Max and Jacob going in this series, you have to feel good at least about two starts. Uh, Tyler Walker's, you know, even his last start wasn't the best. I know he recovered enough, but it's it's still worrisome. I need to see him give me good six good solid innings, maybe two runs. Not a lot of not a lot of uh, base runners, and then I'll be fine. You know what's funny about Taiwan Walker now? Because Jacob Degrom is back, because Max Scherzer is healthy, because Chris Bassett is a probably in a good rotation is a number two starter. In this rotation, is a number three starter. All the Mets need Taiwan Walker to be is what you described. Go pitch six innings, allow two, three runs. That that's all that's we're it. looking for. Taiwan Walker is a back-of-the-rotation arm right now. So the Mets don't need Taiwan Walker to be as good as what he was in the first half last year and the first half this year. Mm. All they need him to be is solid. That's all you're asking for. And then you hope those are the days where the Mets can actually score some runs. So I think for guys like Walker, Bassett, Carrasco, who did such a great job of carrying the torch while DeGrom was out, while Scherzer missed a lot of time, all you're asking for is solidness. And by the way, great job by Buck and Billy Epler setting Scherzer and DeGrom up the way they have. They had Scherzer and DeGrom against Atlanta. They had Scherzer and DeGrom against Philadelphia. They've got Scherzer and DeGrom against Atlanta again. And then, not that it matters, Pete, because does it really matter? Right now, unless things change. They got Scherzer and DeGrom set up for that two-game series against the New York Yankees where they're not playing very good baseball. We'll see where they are when the Mets play them in a week. But they've got DeGrom and Scherzer lined up beautifully. And all we can ask for as Mets fans is to light the candles and pray to the baseball gods that these two human beings can be healthy come October. That's that's it. I mean, that's my biggest fear. My big, I have two fears. All right, I don't want to name any names. Because that would be like leveling accusations. One of my fears is what happened to Fernando Tatis Jr. 
I'm not kidding you. Fernando Tatis Jr. got busted for PEDs, and he's out 80 games. I'm scared of that tweet that comes out from Jeff Passan about so-and-so has been suspended for 80 games. Like, that scares me. Not naming names. And then the other scare is injuries. And the Mets have been dealing with minor injuries or what appears to be minor injuries over the last few days in this Philly series. Escobar, Luis Guillerme, Jeff McNeil. They have been relatively healthy. And especially in that rotation more than anything else, they've got to keep those two golden arms healthy going into October. But another great series victory. Great crowds over the weekend. I had a lot of fun watching by the pool, I got to tell you. It's a good good way to watch baseball games. Uh, I just really want to, if you have a second, can you take me into your thoughts on the, on the? Um, I was going to say Juan Soto. Not too soon, but the Tatis suspension. He's, <laughs> he's immature, man. I mean, I think Ron Darling said that on one of the broadcasts, and it's true. I mean, think about why he was missing all this time to injury. He was missing all this time to injury because he got into a motorcycle accident. Um, I think a lot of guys use PEDs. And sometimes we think to ourselves, well, they haven't been busted, so maybe they've eliminated steroids from baseball. I don't think that's the case. I think there are a lot of guys who are able to get away with it. I think Fernando Tatis maybe showed his stupidity or immaturity in not getting away with it. Um, I don't think about PEDs all the time. It's not like I watch guys put up big numbers and say, oh, he must be on steroids. I never wanted to ever think that way. But I do think a suspension like that is a reminder that there are guys using PEDs. And whether it's the arrogance of I won't be caught or I'm smart enough to not be caught. And look, there are going to be a lot of guys who never get caught. And we're going to never know they did PEDs. But I don't think that we live in this clean era where no one's doing it. So whenever a star gets busted, the way Ryan Braun did a few years ago, it's just, or Robbie Cano multiple times, it's just a reminder that guys are doing it. And that's why I tell you that fear that I have as a Met fan where, as a fan of a team, you just don't want that guy to be somebody – I'm not even talking about somebody, oh, I want to tell my kids about or somebody I have a jersey of. It's not, it's not even that. It's more losing a guy for a significant period of time. The Mets have a guy on their team, and he's a hell of a player. I'm not making any accusation against him, who has been busted for steroids. Who has? Which means if he got busted again, I think that suspension's a full season, 162 games. Mm-hmm. And that guy's Starling Marte. I mean, it happened. I think people forget about it, but... It, it does still happen in Major League Baseball despite us maybe forgetting that it does. And I think Tatis getting busted, besides you know making fun of him or talking about him or the Padres, it, to me it's a reminder that it's still going on. And you just hope it doesn't happen to your guy at the wrong possible time. Uh, a few quick hits. A, do you think that A.J. Preller had this, not this knowledge that Tatis was going to be suspended, hence why aggressive on Soto. No, I think he knows Fernando Tatis and said, I need to be aggressive on Juan Soto. Fernando Tatis is an incredible talent, but they have to be worried. There's a guy who, when was asked if he got injured in a motorcycle accident, responded by saying, which one? Yeah. <laughs> Which one? Yeah. It's not the best way to go oh, about that. I- <laughs> I don't know if you knew about the steroid stuff, but I think they know that Fernando Tatis Jr. is not reliable. Do you think this can affect 
Aaron Judge's contract in any way possible. Because Tatis nah, Jr., nah. all that money, blah, blah, blah. All of a sudden, Aaron Judge, no. I don't, you know, I don't know if there are rumors about players amongst front office executives. Like, I think that's been a speculation about Cano on why the Yankees let him go after the fact that he got busted for steroids that, oh, the Yankees must have known. I don't know if they ever knew. I, it may have just been that the Yankees didn't want to pay Robinson Cano what the Mariners paid him. Aaron Judge is going to get a massive contract. I still think the Yankees are going to re-sign him. But, no, I, I, I think the one difference between this era and the past era now is that we don't sit around as much speculating about guys doing steroids. I think when a guy gets busted, it's a reminder that guys still do steroids. But, like, Aaron Judge is having a massive year. It doesn't go through my brain that he's doing steroids. Like, he's having a massive season. It happens. Giancarlo Stanton in 2017 in 59 home runs. He's a big, strong guy. Like, I don't think anyone thought, oh, he must be, he must be juicing. So, it's different, man. It's different in 2022 than it was 20 years ago. And lastly, um, I mean, we talk about every game, every inning, pitchers are going and checking for sticky stuff, you know, Spartak and all that other stuff. Like, it's at that point where it's like, can we just get past this now? Like, can we just end this nonsense? Because if we clearly know that people are still using PEDs on a regular basis. Are they peeing in the cup every game? Are they? Are we doing – like, that's, that's my issue with even checking DeGrom and checking Scherzer. Like, these guys are dominant. They're amazing, unless they're trying to find a way to cheat the system. Like, at some point in time, like, if you're not going to make it fair on both ends, just just let it, let, let the sticky stuff go. Like, just let stop checking right. every game. Just, you're checking, though. I mean, everybody. So are you checking every day, though, on, on players to make sure that they're not using PEDs on a, on a regular basis? I don't think you can. Look, you can't make guys pee in a cup every single day. You can. I think you can do it a amount of time, and you're, you're trying your best to be vigilant about a steroid issue and make sure that it's not easy for guys to do it. With the sticky stuff, and I've just grown accustomed to it, every guy walks off the mound and they get checked. Reliever comes in, gets bombed. He's still getting checked. <laughs> so it's not as if you're only checking the guys who dominate. Like Joely Rodriguez, who sucked <laughs> in the finale of the series, uh, to the point where Buck had Adam Adovino. When Joely's coming out of the game, He's getting checked. And Joelle should say to the umpire, if I did it, boy, it, this crap doesn't work. Should be his response. I, I, I've gotten used to the fact they check everybody, and it's fine. It is what it is. You know? I, I, I know that they should probably create a universal sticky stuff or something already on the baseball, and I'm sure they'll figure that out. But I don't care that they're checking all that crap. They should check all that crap. You don't want anybody to get a... A cheap advantage. It gives you an appreciation for the brilliance of Jacob DeGrom and Max Scherzer that clearly that's crap never affected them because DeGrom's better than ever and Scherzer hasn't missed a beat and he's 38 years old. So All right. hasn't even been a problem. F- final question, and you can even answer this at a later point in time just to ponder. Who has a bigger AAV signed after the in the offseason, Aaron Judge or Jacob DeGrom? Jacob DeGrom. Mm. No question about it. Jacob DeGrom is going to get $50 million a year, and it better be from the Mets, by the way. I don't want to hear, oh, he's not worth it. He's unreliable. Give me a break. Judge will get the bigger, bigger package, obviously, and he'll get more years. But I think DeGrom, man, I'll tell you, if DeGrom finishes this season 
the way he basically repeating what he did in 2021 or even somewhat close, you got to pay him. If you're the Mets, you have to pay him. And I think there'll be plenty of other teams, not all, because there are small market teams, plenty of teams who are going to say, damn, I got to pay that guy. That guy's magic on the mound. That guy is like something we've never seen before. And despite any injury risk that comes with it, you've got to pay the man. Uh, uh, Anyhow. Are you th- are you are you sniffing the fact that he could possibly make $300 million over six years? Is that possible? Uh, I, don't, I don't know if he'll be able to get six years. Like, I think teams will pay him, but I'm not sure they're going to pay him the years because of the injury risks. That would be my guess. But listen, this free agency is going to be crazy with Edwin Diaz and Brandon Nemo and Jacob DeGrom from this team. And then, not just Aaron Judge from the Yankees, Justin Verlander is going to opt out from his contract in Houston. And Verlander is having maybe the best season of his career. So you talk about what Jake would get, what would Verlander get? 40 years old, one and a half years removed from Tommy John surgery. Uh, We'll have another Rico after the series concludes against Atlanta Thursday night with the same exact setup with a beach right behind me. So hopefully you enjoyed hearing the beautiful waves crashing down to the ground as the New York Mets went two out of three against the Philadelphia Phillies. You can download Rico Bronia and know you'll get Met Talk every couple of days. I'm off this week. I have no idea who's with Craig on WFN. You should probably listen, though, at 2 o'clock. I'm sure it'll be good. But I'm not going to listen because I'm on freaking vacation. But never, never vacation from the New York Mets. Thanks for listening to Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronia podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times. 